if you'll let me give you a little harder piece of scripture to, to digest at the beginning and then hopefully through the remainder of this sermon something that, that's a little harder to, to take on you know it's, it's deep then we can get there and uh, good to see the Marks and their family here and uh, absolutely it's always good to see them back but we know uh, that, that they're here uh, uh, I believe it's Brother Joe's uncle uh, passed away and so we want to pray for that family we're continuing to pray for each one of you as y'all deal with that loss and uh, but you know you've got a church family behind each and every one of you lifting you up in Jesus name in Jesus name Daniel is a a book that melds many different things together the book of Daniel melds the history You've got the stories like the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. You have Daniel's in the lion's den. But you also have some very uh, uh, just incredible visions that deal with the end time. It deals with almost the apocalypse, if I could use a phrase of that nature. But let me, let me just, I, I don't have time to go through it. I don't have time to discuss it all, but I just need to pull one of Daniel's visions out so we can stand on that as we leap forward into what we're going to talk about, the kingdom of God. Daniel, this is his own words, his own vision. God is speaking to him and showing him some things that are coming. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, and his throne like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Say, we're talking about God. That's the majesty of God, that his throne still remains when every other throne and kingdom has been cast down. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Does this sound familiar to anybody? You know, what we talk about, those judgment days. And I beheld then the voice of the great words with the horn spake. And I beheld until uh, evening till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and give, given to the burning flame. Concerning the rest of the beasts, and these were visions that, that uh, uh, Daniel had had earlier. I saw that they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. This had not happened yet. What you are seeing is a prophetic uh, vision of the Messiah that one day God would become flesh and he would walk on this earth and the man Christ Jesus and what he has done on the cross, we just talked about it, the enemy's been defeated and that dominion, that kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is forever settled in heaven. And I've preach to you this morning the kingdom of heaven is here and I talked about what it means to be in the kingdom right now and the benefits of being in the kingdom right now and how do you get in the kingdom of God through the salvation of Jesus Christ but while I am absolutely assured and you'll if you miss this morning it's okay we'll we'll get you caught up 
But I am absolutely positive that if you will be in the kingdom right now and experience the blessings of the kingdom right now, you need to also understand there is also a coming of his kingdom. It, 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 it may be a little talking out of both sides of my mouth, but the kingdom of God both is and is to come. And I want to give you the second half of the sermon. The kingdom of God is also coming. And you can be seated in Jesus' name. I, I was reading, and I'm going to pull from a, a teaching just for the next couple paragraphs. I'm going to pull from uh, some teaching in, in a Bible study I found online. And I kind of like the way that, that, that they, they mentioned it. But, you know, when you begin to look at all of the plans that Jesus had, in fact, if I could just wrap it up and say that of all of the plans that God Almighty has ever had, and, and you know what's interesting, God, while there are some things that are veiled, there are some things that are hidden of God, for the most part, God has been very forthcoming with what's going to happen. The children of Israel, I mean, I mean uh, uh, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, God told them, said, if you, if you will do this, you'll live forever. If you eat of this tree, in that day you shall surely die. They ate of that tree. Immediately their, their immortality was taken from them. And guilt and shame and sin entered into them. But even then, God was very forthcoming. Satan, you may have won a victory today. But you've just nipped the heel of a Messiah that's coming. It's going to come out of the seed of this woman and this man that is here today. And, and, and humanity is going to work its way down. But there will be a day that out of the seed of that woman shall come the Messiah. And while you might nip his heel, he's going to put his foot firmly on top of your head. And he's going to crush it. God's pretty forthcoming about what's going on. Jesus comes. God manifests in the flesh. Jesus begins to teach on the kingdom of God. And he kept saying things like the kingdom of God is coming. And they got all excited. Woo! But then in the same breath he would say, but the cross is coming. And, and at first those two don't mesh real well. If I could paraphrase Cleopas, they are one of those disciples on the road to Emmaus. And if you could, you could look at it if you want to see it. I'm going to paraphrase, but Luke chapter 24 and verse 21. When, when, when Jesus, he's resurrected and he's walking on the road to Emmaus. And there is Cleopas and, and, and Cleophas and, and they're walking. In so many words, Cleophas said this. Cleophas said, well, I, I, I don't know exactly what all is taking, taking place. Surely you've heard of this. You, you must be a stranger in these midst if you don't know what's going on. But you know, Jesus is a mighty man, but they just killed him. And he's been in the tomb three days, and we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Because they could not reconcile that a king and a kingdom would have a death and a cross. They're two opposite ends of the spectrum. About three times, at least three times, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going I'm to have to die. In fact, he uses the same phrase that we read in Daniel. The son of man. He said the son of man is going to have to die. And, and, and the same son of man that in the book of Daniel we just read is going to have a kingdom with no end. Jesus doesn't use words haphazardly. 
So when Jesus said the son of man, you better believe any Jewish uh, person worth their salt would have pulled from Daniel and go, man, this just doesn't make sense. How can a kingdom have no end if the king is going to die? Jesus had to explain, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that the son of man came to give his life a ransom for many. In Mark chapter 8, he says the son of man must suffer many things. For me to put this to perspective, the juxtaposition of a king and a death, how many times have you ever heard, let, again, we don't have kings, but we have, we have uh, uh, politicians, and sometimes they're about the same. And uh, how many times have you heard politicians make grand gestures that don't come true? Brother, brother uh, 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 Don, have you ever heard a politician say, I'm going to be president, but first got to die first? You ever heard anything like that? Can you imagine a conquering king telling his, his loyal subjects, just hold on, the kingdom's coming, but I'm going to have to die on the cross. i got to go to the electric chair first, and then, you know, the kingdom's going to come. It just didn't make any sense to that. Even in Jesus' last hours, there's at least three uh, clear indications of the kingdom. Now, I'm going to come back to this one just because I love it, but in the Last Supper... There was a moment in which the Lord broke bread. It's what we call communion. He broke the bread and as he broke that bread and handed it out to the people, he said, this is my body that you're going to eat. But then he picks up that cup, that, that wine, and he says as he holds it up, he says, this is the blood of the covenant which is going to be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. They may not have understood, but at that moment, that blood of the covenant would have taken them back to uh, the blood of the covenant around a door frame in, in Egypt when on Passover they killed a spotless lamb. It would have taken them again to Mount Sinai where they would have had a blood covenant where they would have made the ark and built the ark of the covenant and there they would have done but this covenant was more and I am so thankful listen to me I am so thankful that I can stand here today bought with the blood of Jesus Christ but listen to me that upper room moment was more than just the cross that upper room when he held up that cup of wine it was more than just the blood because he was looking past the cross he was looking past a tomb he was looking past a mount of ascension because this is what he said he said as he held that cup listen here buddy I will not drink with you again until there is a day that you enter into heaven with me and on that day we're going to drink together again it's more than just the cross. It's the kingdom. And the kingdom is coming. There in Pilate's uh, hall, Jesus acknowledged his kingdom again. And, and Jesus was, I, I mean, he was just being simple and honest, but I believe he was a little uh, curt, if you will, with Pilate. Hey, Pilate, Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. Because if my kingdom was of this world, you wouldn't survive. Because, buddy, I've walked on water. Can you do that? Nope. I've opened blinded eyes, unstopped deaf ears, and I've set the captive free. I have raised the dead, Pilate. And I'm telling you, you saw how many people would gather on a mountainside to hear me speak. If my kingdom was of this world, we would have the world's fastest coup. 
I could snap my fingers and thousands upon thousands would pick up arms and they would come and tear down your palace. You don't believe me? Read it in John chapter 18, verse 36. He said, but do you see any of my followers? Well, John might be around, but Peter's hiding and everybody else is hiding because my kingdom's not of this world. There's something coming you don't even understand. And even as Jesus was condemned, he was looking forward to a kingdom. I preached on Easter that insight that came from the thief on the cross when he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. And without skipping a beat, without taking a breath, Jesus said, and today, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise because the cross is not an obstacle to the kingdom. The cross is the way to the kingdom. Except he die, we shall not live. This kingdom of God may have been shrouded in mystery to those Jews, but Jesus began to explain it in which what we preach this morning. Jesus came and as he preached, he said, the kingdom of God is here. And everything you've been seeing me do, every healing, every deliverance, every awakening of some sin-filled soul, it's all part of the kingdom. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, they entered into a kingdom and they became citizens not of this world but citizens of an earthly country, of a heavenly country rather, that they had not yet even gone to. They had privileges right now. Jesus said, and I quote this this morning, Jesus said, greater things you're going to do than even I did on this earth because there are privileges of being in God's kingdom now. All things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. <clears throat> and while those signs and while the kingdom is present in Jesus' life and ministry and the kingdom of God is present in the book of Acts and the kingdom of God is present today at the Lighthouse United Pentecostal Church, there is a final consummation of the kingdom that is coming. And while I am thankful I can lift my hands and I am thankful I can worship, please don't ever get caught up that this is all they're ever going to be. Let me show you with, with and, and there, there are certain, uh, when, when I went to Bible school, they, I took preaching classes and they would teach methods of preaching. You can teach a, a, a method of preaching uh, that is a, a narrative sermon and that's where I tell a story and through the telling of a story we enter into points and, and it's where you tell the story of David and Goliath and you come to a conclusion. But then there's a ladder method where you just keep building point upon point upon point. And I don't know because I've done forgotten and I'm not real smart. I'm sure this has a name, but I call this the smother method. I'm going to just keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over until you get it or y'all just get up and leave. Because I want you to get it inside your mind that the kingdom of God is also coming. My dad teaches at Urshan College. You can... Straighten me out later and uh, they're going to probably take my degree now. I'm sure there's another name for it, but the smother method works. I'm going to just go over several things. Some of it what we read this morning. But I want to just show you how the kingdom of God is right now and is also coming. In Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark, Mark. In Mark chapter 10 verse 17, 
a, a, a young man comes running up to Jesus and kneels before him and says, Good master, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looks at that young man and he says, Well, first off, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. It's just a, kind of a way to make sure he was worshiping the right thing. Jesus said, Well, do you know the commandments? Don't commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And that young man got all excited because he said, from a youth, I've kept these things. And at that moment, he thought he had done everything he needed to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus loved him and said unto him, there's one thing that you lack. Now this is not a blanket statement for everyone, this was for him. God is a God of individuality and God knows what we need, God knows what you need. And so don't take this and make some crazy doctrine out of it. It was God, it was Jesus ministering to one young man, knowing his, his failures and knowing his weakness. And he said, well there's one thing you lack, go your way. Sell everything that you have, take up or, or, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. How do I know Jesus was dealing with an individual? Because that individual couldn't do it. Jesus looked at Peter and said, leave all the boats behind, let's go. Peter dropped the nets and took off and hardly ever looked back. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples and, and he's kind of, you know, maybe sighs he says, man, hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God and the disciples they're astonished at his words and, and, and Jesus is, is talking to them, it's hard for those that trust in their riches to enter into the kingdom of God because they put their trust in something else and it's hard for them to let that go and surrender to the master he said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they're confused because I'm sure that the disciples wishes they were rich. They said, I would give anything to have that kind of money. And I could do it. And they were confused and they were astonished. And Jesus looked at them. In fact, the disciples said, well, then who can be saved? If rich can't be saved, who can be saved? And God says with men it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible. But watch this. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have left everything to follow you. You called me and I answered. And, and I know Peter was not, that, that, that moment of salvation had not yet occurred on the day of Pentecost. But in a sense, Peter had listened and followed the commandment of God. He said, Lord, I put my entire life away. I've done it all. Watch what Jesus says. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, There is not a man that hath left his house or his brothers or his sisters or his father or his mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. There's not one person that has given up everything to follow me that will not, watch this, that will not in this lifetime, watch verse 30, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Say this time. He will receive a hundredfold of houses, brethren, sisters, brothers, children, lands, and persecutions. He just had to throw that in, didn't he? What Jesus was saying is, if you will follow me, yes, there's some things you're going to give up, but I've got a kingdom of today. There is a blessing living for God today. But Jesus didn't stop there. Because he said, and in the world to come, eternal life. 
I am not being saved just to punch a golden ticket to go to heaven and escape what God wants to do in my heart and my life right now. But neither am I content with the blessings and the goodness of God in this life. I am looking for a country whose builder and maker is God. It's a kingdom now and a kingdom to come. It's the blood of, my new, of the New Testament which is shed for the remission of sins there in that, that, that Passover supper, that last supper. It's something that's right now. But he said, until that day, I will drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. I just want somebody to know he's waiting for you. Old Tom Bodette used to say in Motel 6, I'll leave the light on for you. Anybody remember those? Some of the younger are like, huh? But uh, that was, that's what I remember. I'm Tom Bodette, and I'll leave the light on for you. Can I tell you right now, Jesus knows who you are. And when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and, 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 and he, he didn't just say, I'm going to prepare a place. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you because he knows who you are and he's waiting on you. And I'm not trying to, to make God uh, uh, less incredible and less powerful, but let me just put the personal note on it. He says he is waiting to fellowship and commune with you. I don't know how it's going to be, Brother Freno. I don't know how many thousands and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, and I don't know how many is going to be in heaven. But when you get to heaven, you will not get lost in the crowd. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be just one of the number. God will know you. He will know your name. And it will feel as if heaven is just for you because he's waiting. That old centurion came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 and Jesus was there in Capernaum and that centurion came and fell at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, my servant is at home grievously sick of the palsy and tormented. Jesus said, sounds good, let's go and I'll heal him. And that centurion said, no sir, I'm not worthy that you would come under my roof, but I know you can just speak the word and my servant shall be healed. I'm a centurion. I've got a hundred soldiers under me. I know what it's like to say jump and they respond how high. All you've got to do, Lord, is speak. Jesus heard it, the Bible says, verse 10, and he marveled and said unto them that follow the disciples, he said, verily I say unto you, I have not found this much faith, not in any of Israel. So I'm going to say unto you, centurion, that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out to outer darkness and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you say, what is he talking about? Jesus was not just in the business of thy faith hath made you healed. Jesus was in the business of thy faith has made you whole. And so Jesus was indicating that the faith of this centurion that I'm quite confident was not a good Jewish person. He believed, but he wasn't of Abraham's stock, which is why I'm convinced the Bible lists and says that they're going to come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's a prophecy that Gentiles are going to be in the kingdom. He says there's something else better for you. He says, Jesus said unto the servant, and to the centurion rather, go thy way as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed the selfsame hour. There was a healing now and there was going to be a resurrection later. Because that's how 
the kingdom of God is. In Matthew chapter 13, we read this morning, in Matthew chapter 13, there was a few things that went by, at least three, and all of them dealt with some sort of growth. The first one said, in a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. It's indeed the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it's the greatest among the herbs and becomes a tree and the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So is true for the salvation and so is true for the kingdom. There's an immediate growth, but there's a maturing. And when God deems the maturing time has ended, he's going to call you home. He says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33, he says the kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. I know a lot of us don't think about leaven, but let me put it this way. Whether you've made it fresh or you go buy those cool road rolls at the grocery store, how many of you have ever made rolls or you went and bought those rolls and you put them out in little pans and you got to let them set usually overnight or at least somewhere warm and those rolls will grow. That's yeast, that's leaven, if you will. They're growing, they're, 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 something is happening. There is a process. When you were saved, the moment you repented of your sins, the moment you knelt down and you began to, to ask the Lord to take your sins away, when he filled you with the Holy Ghost, when you were baptized in the water, there was something planted inside your heart that is growing today. And there will be a moment. I, I remember mom makes some of the best rolls and... and there, you know, you can put them near the oven and try to speed up the process, but it's not the same. It takes time. No man knoweth the day nor the hour that Jesus is coming. It takes time. Now, yes, you are, you are saved, if you will, instantaneously. But there, And we're going to get there in a moment. But there is a process to your salvation. There'll be a day that God deems you fit. God deems you ready to take home. And at that day, the kingdom will be both now and then. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, we hear about the sower that sowed good wheat in his field. And the enemy, the devil, came and sowed weeds among the, uh, among the wheat. And when it grew, he said, I'm going to let them grow together lest I harm the wheat by pulling up the weeds. He said, let them grow both together into the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather first those weeds and throw them in the fire. And then gather the wheat to my barn. And right now, we're in a process of growth. Good growth, bad growth. Sin is ever present. Grace is ever present. Salvation is happening and people keep sinning. But God says, I'm going to let it grow until the time I deem the harvest. And when I deem the harvest, we will gather both and there will be a time of separation. I will look to those, the wheat, and I will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But I will look into the weeds and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. i got to take it a step farther. Give me a little bit of time. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is speaking. He says, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man traveling into a far country. He calls his servants and delivers them as goods. To one of the servants, he gives him five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. To every man according to his ability. And this phrase and this understanding, talents, is a type of money. But I think it also applies to what we think of when we talk about talents. He that receiveth five talents went and traded with the same and, and, and made five talents. He now had ten. Likewise, the one that had received two, he gained two more. He now has four. 
But the one that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, say a long time. After a long time, they had no idea when the master was going to return. They could not have guaranteed when he would ride back in. When he came back, he looked at them and he said, show me what you did. The one with five talents came back and said, here's ten. The one with two said, here is four. The one with one said, I knew you were a, a, a tough man, a tough master. And so I, I just buried it and I brought you exactly what you gave me. The Lord answered and said, you're a wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I sowed not and gather which I had not strolled. And therefore you should have at least put your money in the bank on a CD and got some sort of interest. So I want you to take the talent and give it to the one that hath ten. And then he cast that unprofitable servant to outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus goes on to say, well, when I was hungry you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. And people asked him and said, I don't understand. How can that be? And he said, well, if you've ever done it for the least of these, you've done it to me. Now, that's powerful. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That's powerful. But this is far more than just a social gospel. This is far more than just doing good things here on earth. It's a, it's, a, it's a reason. But let me just tell you today that the Lord, when he saved you, he saved you for a purpose. When the Lord saved you, he saved you and he equipped you. And the question is, what are you going to do with your salvation? Because the kingdom of God is both right now and it's coming. What did he say in Acts chapter 1? He said you shall receive what? Power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now this was not so you can strut around and say hey look at me. He said I'm going to give you power to be what? Witnesses. Both in Jerusalem and in Judea and the uttermost parts of the world. Can I just tell you today that I firmly believe that when Jesus comes back, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, I gave you the Holy Ghost. I gave you the Spirit of God. I gave you talents. What did you do with them? I don't know exactly how we answer that. Could it be? I mean, according to Matthew 25, there are those that have been blessed by God and even received a gift from God that because they did nothing with that gift, they don't go to heaven. Am I out of it too far, Brother Farino? That's what I read. What I read is that there is some talents that God gives, but he expects something in return. My question to you today is, are you wasting your salvation? Because the kingdom is both now and forever. The last smothering I'm going to give you is Matthew chapter 25. I've read this. I've done children's sermons on this. I have preached this. But it just hit me today as we were, as I was studying and talking about the kingdom that is coming. Matthew chapter 25 verse 1. And the kingdom of heaven was likened to the ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. Those that were foolish took their lamps with oil but took no extra oil with them. And the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, meaning they had it in their lamps and they also had a backup. The understanding is 
weddings were long affairs there with partying and, and, and celebration that would go hours upon hours and finally when the celebration was done and the bride and the groom would walk out there would be a procession of young ladies and they would have lamps and they would light the way because there's no street lights they would light the way from the, from the celebration to this couple's new home and the bridegroom tarried and they begin to slumber and they begin to sleep but at midnight somebody began to say hey the bridegroom cometh it's time to go meet him and those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps and the, the foolish ones looked at their lamps and it had been so long their oil had burned out and they had nothing left and they asked they said give us some of your oil and the wise said no we can't there's not enough for both us and you why don't you go find those that sell and buy for yourselves? And the foolish went to buy, and while they were trying to find a store open after midnight, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went with him, and the door was shut. And those foolish came, and they knocked on the door, and they said, Lord, Lord, open us. He answered, he said, I don't even know who you are. And he gives this commandment, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh it is not at all a, a stretch to understand that oil has always symbolized the presence and the Holy Spirit of God can I tell you today that at that moment of salvation that Acts 238 experience that you and I have experienced when you repented of your sins when you were baptized in Jesus name when you were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you got some oil. This is why I said that, that the salvation is an instantaneous moment, so to speak. But it's also a continual process. Because the Lord is coming back. And He's looking for those who kept that oil filled. Those, those five virgins that, that, that were foolish, they were the ones that said, well, when I was eight years old, I got the Holy Ghost. Okay, that's awesome. What you been doing for the last 25 years? Just been sleeping. Just been letting it burn out. No refilling. No moments to wear. I stir up that gift within me. No trimming of wicks. I've just let it burn out. And when the bridegroom comes, they weren't ready. But he's looking for he's looking for those without spot, without wrinkle. He's looking for those that, yes, you were saved. There was that moment you, you got the little certificate that said, I received the Holy Ghost and I got baptized on such and such a day. When he comes back, the kingdom is not just right now. It's not just I was saved. But what you've been doing to prepare for that moment. Because there's going to be a time when Gabriel stands on that shore and he puts that trumpet to his lips and he blows with all of his might and he's coming back for someone that is ready. He's coming back for someone that has been using what God has given you right now but you're also looking for a day and you're waiting and you're hoping and by faith you know it's coming. And when the trumpet sounds, you trim that little wick and that oil begins to flame. 
and you begin to say, here I am. And Jesus calls you home and he says, well done, my good and my faithful. Do you see that word? My faithful servant. I'm so thankful for that salvation. But I have been doing my very best over the past 30 years of my life. I've been doing my best to be faithful. Because I learned from a young boy the kingdom of God is both right now and it's coming. Why do I preach? Because the kingdom of God is right now. Why do I come to church? Because the kingdom of God is right now. Why do I pray? Because the kingdom of God is right now. But I'm looking. I'm looking. Every day I wake up in the back of my mind, there's a little wonder, Sister Sorrels, is today the day that the kingdom of God is finished, that it cumulates, and I go home. It's now, and it's coming. Would you stand today? I'm going to continue to pray for healing. I'm going to continue to pray for God to move. I'm going to continue to pray for God to, to, to deliver. I'm going to continue to pray for addictions to be broken. But all of that is absolutely useless if you don't walk to the kingdom that's coming. What good is it for God to give you a talent and when he comes... You don't even get to go home. What good is it for God to save your soul? What good is it for God to deliver you from drugs and alcohol? What good is it for God to deliver you out of a life of sin? If you're not ready, when he says, I'm ready to drink with you. I'm ready not for the last supper, but for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm ready to commune with you. I'm ready for you to see me as... For the kingdom of God is right now, and the kingdom of God is also coming. I'm going to open these altars for you to give yourself a chance to kind of examine and say, Lord, am I ready? First off, am I living for you right now? But am I going to be ready when you, sir, call me home? Would you come in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name? There is coming a day. Oh. When no heart no shall come, come, no more cry. No more cry.